0: Good morning. It's so good to have you with us. And if you haven't already, please take your Bible and turn over to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12. Now, those of you who are visiting with us this morning, I'm a little bit fearful about this sermon. And here's why. Often, evangelicals whitewash the truth of Ecclesiastes. And this is basically how how we as evangelicals often read Ecclesiastes oh, there's 11 chapters of negative stuff, actually 11 and a half chapters of negative stuff, but but just fear God and keep his commands and everything will be good. And see, I'm really fearful that if you haven't had to endure me preaching 13 sermons from Ecclesiastes, you might feel that way this morning. Because the reality of this passage is, yes, at the end of the day, we're left with nothing else but to fear God and keep his commandments. But we're left with that because everything has been stripped away. Solomon, in the wisdom of God, has spent 11 and a half chapters doing hard work to strip all of our hope away so that we're left with nothing but Jesus. Wisdom, knowledge, youth, material blessing, having all the answers, Being the smart guy, being the churchy guy, being the morally upstanding, somewhat pharisaical guy, none of those things will endure. And if you've waded through the mire of Ecclesiastes with us, you feel it. You feel it so much so. That in chapter 12, verse 8, when Solomon comes back to vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity, you're probably sitting there going, if I had any hair left, I would pull it out. I know that this world is fleeting. I know that it's a vapor. I know that I can't cling to anything within this world. So what do I do? Do you feel it? Do you feel it? Because I think we're supposed to feel it. Here's what Solomon says. He gives you a Sunday school answer. But a Sunday school answer based upon reality, based upon truth, based upon wisdom a Sunday school answer that I hope is not just a gloss over it all. Solomon says, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments for this is the whole duty of man. But that's not some empty, hollow, act spiritual, because you got up this morning to come to church kind of answer, but it's the reality. Your Attempts to act better than others will not endure. All you're left with is your relationship to God. Your monetary, physical, material possessions and blessings will not endure. All you're left with is your relationship with God. Your knowledge and all the right answers will not endure. All you're left with is your relationship with God. Solomon has been working to say, let me take that idol off your shelf, and let me take that false God off your shelf, and let me take that empty hope off your shelf, and let me pry that empty hope out of your cold, dead fingers, because I want you to realize that the Lord is all you have. And either you know Him or you don't, and either those who know Him will walk in His ways or they won't. But know this, what endures when we realize nothing endures is our relationship with the Lord, because the Lord endures. What is of value is not what we store up in banks and in the dirt, if you're the type that wants to bury your treasures or under your mattress. But what endures is the way that you walk with the Lord. So there's two ways to look at these verses. One is to look at it and go, oh yeah, yeah, i got to give a spiritual answer, so fear God and keep His commandments. The other is to look at it and go, I have nothing left in my hands. They're empty. They're empty. And so all I have is to know God, to walk with Him, to love Him, to keep His commandments, to bear fruit for His kingdom. There's two ways to interpret this, and I want us this morning to interpret it from that place of desperation when we know that all we have in this world is fleeting and temporary and a vapor and it's vanity, but God is enduring. God is forever, and those who know Him will be with Him forever. Not only that, but I want us to know that our lives matter. It's it's not just, oh shucks, the world's fleeting, so I'm going to hold my breath until Jesus comes back and we'll all fly away in the morning. Hallelujah. No. The reality is we're here right now by God's sovereign hand for a purpose that we would bear fruit for His kingdom in this world. Take a big breath, all of you. That oxygen that you just saturated into your body is a sign that God wants you here right now to bear fruit for his kingdom, to display his glory. This passage drives us there. So this is the end of the matter. Fear God, keep his commandments. So those of you that are looking for a main point, those of you that want me to give you a sermon in 30 seconds, here it is. What do we do with our vain lives? Fear God. Keep His commandments. Now, I want to try to show you that that is indeed what the Bible is saying to us this morning. So our first point, if you're a a note taker, fear God. So let's just walk through the passage quickly here. Go back to chapter 12, verse 8. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. Then verses 9 and 10, we're going to come to those in a few minutes, but they tell us that Solomon, the preacher, the author of this book, was indeed a wise man. And not just wise in a worldly sense, But he actually had the words of God guiding him in such a way that he was trying to make the wisdom of God, the truth of God, the reality of what it means to know God and live for His glory compelling. We'll come back to that in a minute. And then we come to the end of the matter. All has been heard. It's that gavel moment in the courtroom. It's that, you know... Maybe you don't come here often with your family, but I often do. You know, I have three rambunctious, crazy boys in my house where I have to say, Stop! Stop talking! Silence! Just the Mosley's? Okay, fine. Just bear with me for a minute. Silence! No more arguments! This is what we're going to do. No more arguments! This is what is true. No more arguments! This is it. So, So here's our moment. We have come to the end of the matter. I don't think Solomon has to shout silence because I think he's silenced us all already. Body blow after body blow, gut punch after gut punch, fake idol, fake God ripped away after fake God ripped away, and here we are. Then what do I do, Solomon? Just tell me. Just tell me. What do I do? Fear God. Fear God. Two words that sum up everything. Fear God. In the scripture, the word fear God. By the way, can I just do a little tangent here? I love how evangelicals try to take anything about God's character to the point where we always have to be happy and They go now fear doesn't really mean fear actually it does okay so i'm not going to try to defang it okay but fear what does it mean to fear god to fear god means to recognize who god is recognize who you are and plead to God for mercy. Ongoing. So to fear God means to recognize who God is. God is holy, God is the creator of all things, God is without sin, He is perfect. He is other than us. He, he not only created the world, but he sustains the world by the word of his power. Every single one of us owes our existence to God. The fact that we're sucking in oxygen right now is because God has willed that we would live right now. And this God has moral standards. This God wants his world to be governed in such a way that it exalts his purity, his holiness, his absence of sin. God is holy. And God demands holiness from his creatures. And so to fear God is then to recognize who we are. In one word, we are unholy. Unholy. Scripture says, none is righteous. No, not one. By definition, left to ourselves ever since Genesis 3, we are rebels against God. We're an offense to him. We want our way now. Like we're the living, breathing Burger King. You know, I want my way right now. My way right away. I want it. God says, no, my way is better. My way is better, but that's for later. To fear God means to recognize who God is and to recognize who we are. And if we stop there, then our definition of fear is very, very real. Because the Bible actually tells us that God's anger burns against those who rebel against him. The scripture tells us that that no one is righteous, no, not one. And it also tells us that God in his holiness cannot make peace with just bringing sinners into his presence and acting like they're not sinners. And the Bible tells us that his anger burns against sin. So if our understanding of God stops there, then do you think the Bible's definition of fear is real? Yeah, it is. Fear means fear. But thankfully, the revelation of who God is doesn't stop there. Because the scripture tells us that this holy God is also merciful and kind. This holy God is gracious and abounding in unending love. The scripture tells us that this God sent his only son into the world to take away the guilt and the sting of our rebellion so that we could be accepted and loved in his presence. So to fear God is to recognize who God is, to recognize who we are, and to recognize our need of God's saving grace in our lives. When we approach God in joy, it's because we recognize who He is, we recognize who we are, and we recognize Jesus. When we approach God in confidence, it's because we recognize who He is, we recognize who we are, and we recognize the immense nature of His mercy in Jesus. Jesus would actually say, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. So to fear God is to know who God is, to know who we are, and to approach Him as believers in His Son, Jesus. So Solomon says... At the end of the day, when it's all said and done, heap up all your cliches that we use in athletics, right? But at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, what we're left with is a world that can't save us, a world that can't satisfy us, a world that can't prop us up, a world that can't give us joy, and a world that doesn't last forever So what we're left with is to relate to God. And the appropriate, healthy, saving, eternally joyfully, eternally life-giving way to approach God is in biblical fear. Where we recognize His greatness, our sin, and approach Him in Christ. So I have a question for you this morning. This is about as close to revivalistic as we get here at Redeemer. But when the scripture takes you there, you go. So here's my question How do you approach God? How do you approach God? We can approach God in arrogance. I'm good. God should be honored to have me want to approach him. And he should be honored that I'm here today. And that arrogance is not fear. And that arrogance is not where you want to stand before the Lord. Verse 14. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. We could relate to God in an unbiblical fear. We could try to relate to God where we feel like God is a, rule, is a record keeper and, and He's up there, wherever, out there, trying to keep watch over us. And every time we do something wrong, He wants us to do something right. Every time we go negative, He wants us to make it positive. And that's not biblical fear because biblical fear recognizes that we are helpless apart from God's grace. We are called to approach God in biblical fear. Here in the the South and in the Bible Belt, my fear, and that's not intended to be a play on words, it's just what it is, my fear for us, for the people in this room, is that we've done the church thing for so long we've missed the Lord. My fear is that we've done the church thing so much we've missed Jesus. So yeah, I got baptized once. Yeah, I walked an aisle. Yeah, I prayed a prayer. Yeah, I raised my hand in a service. Yeah, I went to a class. Yeah, I did the church thing for a little bit. But I mean, none of that stuff matters. The question is, do you know the Lord? Have you received his son? And can you approach him in a biblical Fear based on knowledge of sin and grace and mercy and cling to Jesus as you approach the Lord. How do you today relate to God? That's the question. And I believe part of the the purpose of the book of Ecclesiastes is to strip away from us false hopes so that we can actually know the Lord. Because those who know the Lord will be with him forever. Those who know the Lord, Romans tells us, will never be stripped out of his hand. Never. Those who know the Lord will have his promises and his blessings with us forever. So the question is how do I relate to the Lord? So perhaps this morning, some of us need to repent. Some of us need to say, I am clinging to all the wrong stuff. I want to relate to the Lord in biblical fear. Perhaps you should come and talk to me after this service. I would love to go to lunch with you. I will even pay to talk to you about what it means to know the Lord. What it means to walk in biblical fear. What it means to be freed from the bondage of sin and death. But until we biblically fear God, we cannot relate to him well, and we cannot relate to him appropriately, and we will not enjoy this world. So do you know the Lord? Do you fear him? Now, that would be a great revival sermon, wouldn't it? Amen. We'll pass the hat till I'm happy and I'm, I'm just kidding. I think something is really important here. Solomon doesn't stop there. He says, fear the Lord and keep his commandments. Fear the Lord and keep his commandments. Commandments. Um, Michael, I need the third point here, not the second. This is why I hate this thing, because I want to be able to change my sermon on the fly, and I'm about to do that. That's a dangerous thing, by the way. But our second point that says number three beside it up there is keeping God's commandments. I remember when I was in college, I think it was Levi's, but they had this commercial about some jeans that weren't quite as restrictive as, like, the old Levi's. And it showed people, like, jumping up in the air and, like, clicking their feet together. And I'm not even going to try that. Like, that'd make for a good story this morning. But the, the catchy song in the commercial was, I'm free to do whatever I want the all time. Anybody over 35 remember that commercial? Just me. Okay, I've got some people in the back. Good, good, good. I think that's been the mantra of the young generation every time there was a young generation. I just love it, by the way. This is kind of a tangent, but I love it when old people rail on millennials because 20 years ago, you were millennials. You just had a different title beside you, right? But the young generation wants to be free to be me. And when you were young, so did you. Okay? Okay? But Jesus didn't come, take on flesh, condescend to humanity, suffer under the weight of sinful humanity, die upon a cross and bear the wrath of God and spend three days dead so that we could be free to be me. He did all of that so that we could know the Lord and we could fear Him and our lives could be forever changed. And so when Solomon says... Fear the Lord and keep His commandments. What he means is this. Those whom God redeems, God changes. What he means is those who truly fear the Lord will long for their lives to bear fruit for the Lord. Keeping God's commandments are no longer something we do to earn God's favor, but there's something we do because we know God and we know his grace and we know his mercy. So get this, if you're here today and you claim to be a follower of Jesus, it is the will of God that carried by the power of the Holy Spirit and always believing in the gospel of Jesus, you would use your life and endeavor to keep God's commandments in your home, in your family, in His world, and in this church. God would want us to be people for whom the Word of God, the commandments of God, would be heard and received and believed and pursued. So when God said, thou shall have no other gods before me, that wasn't like hypothetical rhetoric for like good Christians. That's what God wants. When God said, do not steal, do not commit adultery, do not bear false witness. Those aren't hypothetical statements for for people who really want to be good. That's what saving grace does in our hearts, is it makes us bear fruit and keep God's commandments. So let me make this very clear. You will never earn God's favor by keeping commandments. Okay, You will never earn salvation by keeping commandments. But if you want to know the temperature of your heart, if you want to know the temperature of your soul, if you want to know how much your life is walking in the grace of God and how spirit-filled your life is and how word-saturated your life is and how much God's bearing fruit in your life, look at your life. Because we who belong to Jesus, who have the Spirit of God dwelling in us, when we sin, when we rebel against God, when we don't keep His commandments, we will feel the weight of what is called conviction. God will never let us feel settled in our rebellion against Him if we belong to Him. Period. Therefore, fear God and keep his commandments. So I believe in the grace of God. I believe that we as people have salvation only in Christ, only by grace, only depending upon his mercy as exercised only by faith. I'm a Protestant. And so are you, whether you know it or not. And I don't believe that standing up here and reading Ecclesiastes 12 and saying those who fear God are called to keep his commandments undermines that in any way, in any way whatsoever. If you want to use your life for the glory of God, then know him, fear him, and seek to keep his commandments by grace and through faith. If you want to bear fruit for the glory of God, know him, fear him, and seek to keep his commandments by grace through faith. There's a question before us, friends. Are we willing to believe that Solomon knows what he's talking about? Are we willing to believe that Solomon knows what he's talking about? So I want to I spend the next few minutes on this last point, this keeping God's commandments. And so that leads back to our third point, which is labeled number two up there God's commandments. God's commandments. I believe there are two primary reasons why keeping God's commandments, that exhortation from Solomon, is an offense to us. I believe there's two reasons why the call to keep God's commandments is an offense to us. One, we love doing what we want, when we want, how we want too much. And second, we have the wrong view of God's commandments commandments i'm not going to ask for a show of hands but i wonder how many of you when you heard emmy read the passage earlier and it, she got to verse 12 and said this is the end of the matter fear god and keep his commandments and you heard that i wonder how many of you just kind of like locked up for a minute on the inside like Ugh, uh. don't like it when the bible says things like that not saved by works got to put that aside like, i wonder how many of us just locked up For whatever reason, be it that we're hardwired this way, that we're culturally wired this way, but the word commandment is an offense to the human heart. The word commandment causes us all to go, ah, I don't want to be that kind of Christian. The word commandment causes us all to pause and go, I don't like being restricted. And we've all got the wrong view. The commandments of God are a gift from God to show us God's good ways to live in God's world. And Solomon says that he exuded much effort and much energy in this book to convince people that God's wisdom, that's God's commandments applied to real world, is actually a delight and a joy and a blessing. So the third point, God's commandments... I'm here to convince you that you have a negative connotation about commandments when the Bible would call you to a joyful one. Look at this with me. Look at verse 9. Besides being wise, the preacher, so that's who we've been calling Solomon, also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these, of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness. Of the flesh. So, when you hear commandments, if your mind goes negative, I want to challenge you to read Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 9 through 12, as many times as you can this week. I want to challenge you to pray over it. I want to challenge you to meditate upon it. I want to challenge you to consider every ounce and every drop of what's being said here, because I only have a couple minutes and I really wish I had more. But notice the logic here. The preacher was wise. Where did the preacher get his wisdom? Verse 11, from God. The preacher got his wisdom from God. The words that God spoke. And rather than feeling inhibited, and rather than feeling his freedom was taken away, he actually believed that the words of God were a delight, and they were truth. And so because he believed that they were a delight, and they were true, he spent time weighing and studying And arranging, now do you feel the meticulous nature of those words? Weighing, studying, arranging. Why? Why would he weigh them? Why would he study them? Why would he arrange them? Because he wanted to present them in such a way that his hearers would be compelled that they are a delight and that truth is a gift and that knowing God's way is a blessing. Do you see that there? Solomon exuded much effort with the wisdom God gave him so that he could convince us that God's wise way, God's word applied to real life is a delight and is a blessing and is a joy. And so when I say commandment and I say wisdom, and, and what wells up in you is not delight and joy and blessing. That means on this subject, we're being less than biblical. And the exhortation to keep God's commandments will always be difficult for us because we have the wrong view of them. Children, why do your parents tell you to stay out of busy streets? Well, because they're repressive and they don't know what it's like to have fun. No, because they don't want you to get smashed by a car. They love you. Death isn't fun. And now extrapolate that one example. Why does the Lord give us commandments? To protect us and to bless us and to shape us, and to nurture us, and to shepherd us. Do you notice what it said here? The commandments are given by one shepherd. They're given for nurture. They're given for care. Verse 11 tells us that commands... The commandments and the words of the wise are like goads and nails. Those both sound really fun, don't they? Do you know what a goad is? A long metal stick with a metal point that you use to make a big animal do what you want it to. Sounds fun, doesn't it? Do you know what a nail is? A big piece of metal that holds things in place where they need to be held. Those are some lovely metaphors, aren't they? I can't wait to wake up in the morning and let the Lord goad me and nail me. Except, Solomon says the the, the goading is out of love. It's out of compassion. It's out of care. It's out of the heart of a shepherd. Solomon says the nailing Is about being on the right path. The commandments of God, (coughs) the commandments of God give us direction and drive us forward. The commandments of God hold things together. So, Christian, will you? Join Solomon as guided by God himself to believe that the commandments of God are a gift from God for you to honor him and flourish in God's world. Because I think that if we believe that commandments are blessing, commandments are joy, commandments are life-giving, commandments are for our good, commandments bear fruit, I think we'd be much more inclined to study the word, to repent of our sin, to follow after the Lord, and to go where he guides us to go. So will you join Solomon in believing that the words of God are a delight? Now, dear Redeemer people, I know that some of you are like me, and you're guilty of loving knowledge just a little too much, right? If you're visiting today, welcome to Redeemer. We're a bunch of geeks. We're glad you're here. Actually, that's not true. Please come back. But we got a heady group of people. We love to read. We love answers. And Solomon gives... The overly intellectual like me, a warning in verse 12. Make sure that you don't like thinking more than you like truth. Make sure that you don't like new knowledge more than you like the knowledge that the Lord has already revealed. Make sure that you don't spend your life looking for answers when the Lord has already given you the answer in His Word. I'm for reading, I'm for knowledge. I'm for intellect. I'm for expanding your brain. I'm for expanding your knowledge of, of God's world, but doing it all so that we can understand better what God has already revealed. This happened to me in seminary all the time. I'd be writing a paper. One of my kids asked me yesterday, Dad, what's a seminary? So that's a Bible college, just young people, you can know that. But when I was in seminary, I'd be writing a paper, and I'd be considering this like philosophical thing like, you know, how is God sovereign and the world matter, or something like that? And so, so I would sit down with my wife and I'd be like, okay, so like, um, this is the question I'm wrestling with, and, and she'd be real patient to like act like she was really into it as much as I was. And then I would say, so then like, like Luther said this, and then like Calvin said this, and then like John Frame said this on page 662 of his book about God. And then I've been thinking for the last week how to piece all this together and this is going to be the conclusion of my paper. And so I feel like 45 minutes, my wife will look at me and go, yeah, that's what 1 Corinthians 10, 14 says. Right? Anybody besides me ever have that happen? So look, I'm better for the study. I'm better for the wrangling. I'm better for trying to figure it out. But the reality is God has spoken what we need to know and let's make sure that we believe His word is enough for us. And where God has spoken, let's hear it and let's receive it and let's believe it. Christians, we have a calling to proclaim Christ and to make disciples, and they're not up there today. Sorry, I'm pointing at signs that are normally up there. I guess they broke. Doesn't matter. We're still called to proclaim Christ and make disciples, whether the signs are there or not. And this requires that we fear the Lord and we keep His commandments and we take His gospel and we bear fruit. We're called to love one another, we're called to care for one another, we're called to bear fruit. We're called to honor the Lord and all those things call us back to verse 13. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments. So I am praying for myself and for you this morning that this simple truth will be enough to satisfy your soul forever. That this simple truth will be profound enough to keep you running back to the Word of God repenting of your sin, and seeking to follow after Jesus forever. I'm praying that this simple truth will bring conviction to some of us. Some of us, I'm praying that we'll be stopped right now and say, I don't know Jesus, save me. I'm praying that some of us who do know Christ will be stopped. I've been living a very cavalier life, presuming upon the grace of God. I will stop, and I will believe by grace and through faith that God wants me to keep his commandments and bear fruit for his glory. I am praying that we will become a more robustly biblical people who believe that God's commandments are a delight to the eyes and a delight for the soul. Here's a little extracurricular reading for you. The short version, Psalm 19. The long version, Psalm 119. Meditate on them, ponder them. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. This world is vain. And our lives matter. So God calls us to fear Him. And keep His commandments. Father and our God. We pray that you would accomplish great things in this room. And we pray that you would work mightily and empower Pray that you would bear fruit. Pray that you would open eyes and soften hearts and give faith. We pray that you would work as we seek you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.